When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. And greetings to you, music lovers, thrill seekers, conversationalists all across the Fruited Plain, great to be back. I, of course, America's real anchorman, <clears throat> America's truth detector, and the doctor of democracy. Right here behind the golden EIB microphone. And broadcast excellence straight ahead. Telephone number, if you want to be on the program today, is 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushbo at eibnet.us. All right, folks, it, uh, it occurs to me that I have not spent much time uh, in recent weeks updating you on my, on my medical status. And I'm probably overdue for that, uh, given that it has <clears throat> been a while and that these are uh, extremely challenging times uh, for me medically. Nothing that millions of you haven't gone through or aren't going through. And those of you who have, or those of you who are going through it, you uh, you understand it, and and so it's uh, it's it's it, the temptation here is to start divulging a lot of stuff, and I'm I'm not going to do that because I've vowed not to be a cancer patient um, on the radio. I've vowed to shield as much of that from the daily program uh, as I can. The, I guess, I'm I'm in the third wave of treatment now. There have been many cycles, but this is the third wave. And this current wave, I have to tell you, is kicking my ass. For the last seven days, I have been uh, virtually worthless, uh, virtually useless. I haven't left the house. I haven't uh, done much of of anything except just try to rest and relax. And all of this was, was told to me it was going to be a factor. I mean, nothing is happening that was not told to me, nothing I haven't been warned about. Um, and this is what I mean by those of you who haven't gone through this, you you know uh, you know what it is. And it's just, it's, it's the, 
it's the cost. It's the it's the price that you pay if you make the decision to go ahead and do treatment to try to prolong your life. I'm doing extremely well, all things considered. Uh, the fact that I'm even here today, you know, every day, every day I wake up, and the first thing I do is thank God that I did. It is <laughs> just waking up is a is a blessing. Uh, I know many of you are uh, <clears throat> praying daily and nightly. I happen to believe that they work. Um, I, I believe that they are uh, sustaining me. And I pray for the, for the energy to be able to do this. But I have to, folks, I have to be honest, I do not have the energy that I used to have. Um, I, I'm going to have to take this. You know, I didn't realize until until I got sick. I honestly didn't. You're going to may think this is strange. I didn't realize how much physical and mental energy doing these three hours the way I do them with no guests. Uh, and, you know, I don't do anything to give myself a break during the three hours. It take not even that many phone calls on a on a normal basis. And the amount of energy that it took to do that, and a lot of people, what do you mean energy? You're sitting on your butt for three. Yeah, but I, I guarantee you, folks, and I can prove this with any kind of measurements, my, my heart rate skyrockets during these three hours. My caloric burn is the highest of the day during these three hours. The um, And, and the, the, the mental aspect of it, which to me, I, another name for it is performance pressure, the the compunction I feel to do as well as I can every day, to, I mean, to, to, to meet and surpass your expectations, uh, creates demands. And I was, I was unaware of how much it was until this uh, lung cancer diagnosis hit. Now I'm fully aware of it, and I'm, I'm aware of my energy limitations. And it's why I, I said last, uh, what was it, last Thursday, that, you know, at, at any moment, we need, need to start rolling a best of show here, or we need a guest host, which are which are standing by. I hope that that uh, doesn't happen, and I'm not <clears throat> at the same time making any excuses. But I, I do feel the need to keep you uh, uh, informed as to how the treatment's going. I have no idea. Um, well, I do, but it's 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 not something that. Uh, I'm still here, and that's all that's important. I'm, I'm, I can't, I can't, and don't want to divulge any more than that. If I were to go much greater detail, you know, the media would start researching everything I said. There would be exposés on what I said, and um, investigations into what I said and whether I was being truthful. I just don't even want to tempt them uh, with it. But the, um, the, I guess most accurate thing to say is that I've just now begun week two of this third cycle. And each cycle is three weeks. And the impact on the tumor in these three weeks is not expected to be significant. It's supposed to take a little longer than that. There has been one particular kind of treatment that works in 97% of patients and did not work in me. And it's because of a 1% mutation I have that led to my lung cancer in the first place. That 1% mutation is theorized 
to um, nullify the second phase of treatment that we tried uh, throughout, in, even in the in the first phase, uh, where we I was in the midst of a clinical trial, and those stage two of a clinical trial, not even stage three. These were these were relatively brand new drugs. These are the drugs that kept me out of here for two weeks, and I didn't even know where I was. They did a number on the tumor. They shrunk the tumor and related effects. But it would have killed me if I just – I would have lost vision in my right eye. Uh, I was unable to walk for four days because of muscle swelling and pain from the waist down all the way to the tip of my toes. So I had to get off of that stuff. was on that stuff for, I think, four weeks. And it bought some time for the next phases to begin, which we are, I am, uh, now in. And I just keep plotting away uh, each and every day. Does my voice sound weak in there to you guys a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I I, I sense that too. Uh, Hang on a minute. Maybe if I clear my throat a little bit more often. Uh, it won't sound so bad. That's okay. I, I don't want to. I don't end up sounding bad here and end up being a uh, a uh, a distraction. But there's so many things about this that I want to share and I want to I want to say. And I think the one of the first things I I just I have to mention this is I could not be doing this. Without Catherine, I have I have never experienced anybody so selfless. I marvel at her selflessness. I I don't know how she does it. This is as devastating for her as it is me. But she doesn't allow herself to get down, or if she does, I don't see it. Uh, she has this ability to immerse herself in other people's sadness and disappointment and make them feel better. And not with pep talks, not with uh, things like that, just by, by virtue of her, her countenance and, and her being. She is, she's able to appear optimistic, happy, I mean, bouncy. On occasion, no complaining, which is such a blessing because I don't know how to deal with people that complain since I don't complain much. Uh, but the the things that she is doing to ease me through this and to make it as less arduous for me that it can be, I, I, I'm 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 blessed. Oh, I know, I know marriage vows in sickness and in health, but you know as well as I do that in a lot of circumstances like this, some people look for the door and look for the rearview mirror. And not only has that not happened, uh, as I say, she has immersed herself in my treatment and in my care and being the advocate for me wherever we end up going for uh, treatment. And and just and, and all of that, and I I really shudder to think what this would be like if she weren't doing what she's doing, if she weren't who she is, if she weren't 
if she weren't there. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have the I don't have it in me to ask somebody else to do it. And it's as those of you know who've been through this, you can't do all of the things that you need to do um, by yourself. As I say, I wake up in the morning and the first thing I realize is I'm alive. And I immediately thank God for it because you just uh, you just never know. Now, for those of you who are, what, what is this all about? we got new listeners all around. I know, and you may not know. But I, I was diagnosed in January, January 20th, with uh, advanced stage lung cancer. And we began you know, <clears throat> a bunch of preparations for that kick-ass clinical trial treatment that I was going to be in. They had to give me eye tests and make sure that I was physically strong enough to withhandle what they were going to throw at me. As everybody knew, the toxic components of this, they were hoping and praying. In fact, they couldn't believe I got four weeks out of it. To tell you the truth, the doctors couldn't believe I made it four weeks. They kept calling. Every other day, they'd call Catherine, how's he doing? How's he doing? And she said, fine, so far. They were, they were, they'd be surprised um, that it hadn't started any massively negative side effects uh, sooner than that. So that, that no doubt, uh, bought us some time. don't know how much. But my intention, as I said back then, my intention is to, is to be here as often as I can. My attitude is this. And the reality is, this is the, the day is going to come where I'm not going to be able to be here. And I don't know when that is. And I'm hoping that it is months, years. I'm hoping that the current cycle that we're in does its magic and starts working on the on the tumor as the clinical trial drugs did. But regardless, the day is going to come where it isn't going to be possible to be here every day. And who knows, it may not be possible to be here for three hours every day. I think I'll be fine today. So I look at this, any, any, any chance to do the show, I'm going to take it. If I wake up and realize I'm still alive and thank God for it, then the next thing I'm going to, okay, can I go to work today? Because if I can, I need to get as many in uh, as, uh, as possible. Because this is one of my primary loves in life. And you in the audience are the reason that this love of my life has been so extraordinarily happy and successful. Would not have happened without, without you. And so there is a desire to be here every day. Talk about all this rot gut going on out there. By the way... So much of it, your host is being validated as being 100% correct. This lockdown wasn't necessary. Certainly not beyond two weeks. Wait till you hear some of the stuff we got. Now everybody's jumping all over Trump. I got a headline here on Drudge. Twitter apologizes for Trump tweets. This is about Trump tweeting that Scarborough murdered somebody. And a lot of people say, what is Trump doing? Why is he punching down? Why is he wasting time on Scarborough? I have no idea, folks, but I'm just telling you something. 
Everybody's acting so outraged that Trump would accuse Scarborough of murder. What about what Trump's been accused of for three years? Treason. Being a traitor. Lying about all kinds of stuff. Flynn, what what they have done to Donald Trump and his family. Maybe Trump's just dosing out some medicine. Okay, Joe, how does it feel? Because Scarborough's been one of the guys on that network that has been promising and assuring everybody that Trump's a traitor, that Trump is a Russian agent. And if Scarborough didn't say it, here comes an endless parade of guests to be happy to say it. Now, I, said, I, don't, I don't know why Trump is doing it. You know, Trump is Trump. Uh, but these people, the media act like they have a free ride. They can say whatever they want about anybody, but don't you dare be critical of them. Don't you dare respond to it. Don't you dare impugn them. And then if you do, they're going to come after you. Trump is not the kind of guy that just sits there and takes this stuff. Yeah, I wish he wouldn't punch down. I wish, I wish, I wish he didn't care, but he does. And so he's going to do what he does. And if you take a little time, you can you can understand it. So let's take a look at where we are. The moving lockdown goalposts. Wait till you hear what we've got coming up in the stacks of stuff here. This is and it's going to confirm all your instincts anyway. Two months ago, two and a half months ago, they were telling us we can't open until we flatten the curve. And we have to flatten the curve. We have to save our hospitals. We have to save the healthcare system. We can't open up till we flatten the curve. And all the while, trying to convince people that flattening the curve was actually curing or getting rid of the virus, which was never going to happen by flattening the curve or staying home or locking. Locking down was never going to get rid of the virus. Then one month ago, they said, we can't open until we have massive testing. We can't open until we have massive contract tracing, contact tracing. We can't open until we get all these new things moving the goalpost. Two weeks ago, we can't open until we have a vaccine. Today, we can't open until Biden's elected. As far as the people who are on the left concerned, we can't open, period. We cannot have an economic rebirth. We cannot have economic growth because all of this is tied to trying to tie Trump to what they're trying to create as an economic disaster. Now, we've got to take a quick time out here, folks. Sit tight. We'll be back and continue right after this. Greetings and welcome back. El Rushmore, cutting edge societal evolution. So far this morning, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up around 600 points. Let me check it to get the actual most recent here. Uh, 565 is what it is. 570. Get it right. 570 is what I'm showing here. So figuratively, nearly 600 points up. Now, this supposedly is on big hopes for a vaccine and the economy is reopening. But my friends, look, as we have said for weeks now, whenever there is good news, somebody always comes along, usually Dr. Fauci, who, by the way, has done a 180 now on reopening you know, Dr. Fauci supposedly the gospel. Dr. Fauci comes out and says what I said two weeks into this. 
And he's, you know, he's the oracle. No, 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 I don't have any animus toward Dr. Fauci. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's just a comment on, on media. More on it in, in just a second. But when, whenever there's any good news, somebody, it, usually it has been Dr. Fauci, uh, come out to rain on the parade. And it hasn't happened yet. Now, there's, in fact, there's some fascinating stories what the Democrats are scared to death of. One of them is in Politico, scared to death of the economic scenario could happen in the third quarter leading right up to the election. So hang on, buckle up, back after this. Right, welcome back, El Rushbow on the cutting edge. Now, look, I mentioned a couple of stories that have the Democrats in abject panic, and here's, here are two of them. Both of them are in Politico. And the first one is by Ryan Lizard, Daniel Lipman. The headline, The General Election Scenario That Democrats Are Dreading. And it, it, they're hoping for a second outbreak. I guarantee if you read this, and I'm going to read excerpts, you know, pull quotes, they are hoping for a second outbreak. They think that's the only thing that's going to cut down and stop an economic recovery. And an economic recovery is going to happen. Did you see all these people out over the weekend? Who said to hell with it? And and they're not stupid. The vast majority of deaths from this coronavirus are happening in nursing homes among people of that age group. It is stunning. Also, the 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 CDC is that you know we're learning more and more. The death mortality rate is coming down. It's still a little higher than the flu, but it's nowhere near what the original predictions were. And so the the, the left, the Democrats, uh, are just hoping that there's going to be a second outbreak somewhere where they can then lead the charge for a second shutdown. Heather McDonald has a piece, uh, I think in American Greatness, where she prepares everybody with various points, bullet points, so forth, to reject a second shutdown, because you know it's coming. So uh, the general election scenario Democrats are dreading, and it is this. Some guy named Furman, who's a former top economic advisor to Obama, is quoted in this piece as saying, we're about to see the best economic data we've seen in the history of this country. And he's talking about the third quarter which starts in July. February, March, yep, July. July, August, September, and then the fourth quarter leading into the election. And one of the reasons they're afraid, it can't go anywhere. It's bottomed out. They have taken us to Great Depression levels. It can't do anything but rebound. And they are scared. Trump's done this once. They are scared to death that the rebound is going to be a very rapid clip. The next Politico story, this is just, you tell me, the Democrats are warning that if Trump loses in November, that he's going to take steps to undermine the results. He's going to take steps to make sure that the election results are overturned if he loses. And this entire story does not have one mention of Russia in it. It does not have one mention of Democrats in it. It does not have one mention of Mueller. It doesn't have one mention of the... These are the people that did it. 
People at Politico were willing participants, media willing participants who participated in this phony investigation. I don't even it's not a hoax. It was a it was an attempted silent coup. They attempted to overturn the election results of 2016. He they've got a story that is written in such a way that it's never happened before. That nobody's ever done anything like this. Trump's going to be the first. He's so rotten. He's so mean. He's so nihilistic. He's so selfish. He's going to try to overturn the election results if he loses. We've just gone through four years of people trying to do that, and they're still trying to do it. They're losing it. They're panicking. Van Gordon Sauter. Anybody know the name Van Gordon Sauter? No, Mr. Snurdly knows who he is. Van Gordon Sauter, not that this matters, was at one time, and he may still be, married to one of Jerry Brown's sisters. Kathleen Brown, I think. Van Gordon Sauter used to run CBS News for two different periods of time, short periods of time in the 80s, uh, both times. And when he ran CBS News, had a great reputation, considered one of the hot-to-trot news executives in all of American newsdom. Um, I have had interactions with Van Gordon's daughter. If any of you out there happen to remember the ill-fated show that I guest hosted for Pat Sajak, it was Van Gordon's daughter who produced it. At any rate, Van Gordon's daughter saying, you know what, the media may as well just admit it. They lean to the left. They can't put the genie back in the bottle. This pretense of objectivity... Never going to pull it off. They've got too much money invested in anti-Trump, too much money invested in being liberal. Just go ahead and admit it. <laughs> As though he just now realized that they lean to the left. They don't lean anywhere. They are all in. The media is the de facto leadership. The media, the professoriate, journalism professors, they are the leaders in all this. Anyway, it's it's fascinating to watch these people on the left, particularly in news, uh, try to explain their predicament because they have just stood every journalistic principle they grew up learning and practicing on its head the last three or four years. Okay, some interesting COVID-19 data. Chuck DeVore has a great piece. At The Federalist, here's the headline. Data, left demanded mass transit, fueled COVID-19 deaths. There appears to be, this is a, this is a pull quote. There, appe- there appears to be no statistical connection. I want to be very precise reading this to you. Because this, this is absolutely true and it's going to nuke Everything we were told, starting with these coronavirus task force updates by the science community and the medical community, there appears to be no statistical connection between improved health outcomes and pandemic policies that forced nearly 40 million people into the unemployment light. In other words... Putting 40 million people out of work by shutting down, by locking down. There is no evidence that doing that improved anybody's health. There's no evidence that sequestering people, there is no evidence, data, none, that flattening the curve 
improved anybody's health outcomes, anybody individually or in whatever demographic group. In other words, it was useless. It was unnecessary. Said another way, there appears to be no statistical connection between the economic pain of the nationwide shutdowns and the number of COVID-19 cases or fatalities. In other words, we'd have the same numbers whether we shut down or not. This is data. This is not somebody's opinion. He says, let that sink in for a moment. Given that we were told we had to lock down America to flatten the curve, we had to lock down America, we had to flatten the curve, we had to save lives, and we had to protect our hospitals. On the other hand, the data does suggest that relying on mass transit is connected with expanding cases and fatalities. In other words... Andrew Cuomo keeping the subways open for his essential people to get to and from work. There can be a statistical connection made between mass transit and increased cases and fatalities. But there is no statistical connection between the shutdown and the number of COVID-19 cases or fatalities. Let me try it another way, because, folks, I think this is, what's the term? This is moneyball. Allowing for the fact that some places, like Hawaii and Nevada, are heavily dependent on tourism, while others, like Connecticut and the District of Columbia, have a large share of white-collar workers who can work from home, The data shows no connection whatsoever between the increase in unemployment and COVID-19 case rate or fatality rate. In other words, it's, it's just, it's stunning. There appears to be no statistical connection between improved health outcomes and pandemic policies that shut down the country and put 40 million out of work. In other words, shutting down and putting 40 million out of work and on unemployment and causing all this massive stimulus spending had no connection to improving anybody's health. It had no connection to keeping people from getting the disease. It had no connection to uh, preventing people dying from the disease. It was totally unnecessary. 100% unnecessary statistical data. And then if you, let me me find a uh, quick statistic here, depending, maybe we're, put it, getting, here it is. Try this. On top of all that, only 1.8% of U.S. residents live in nursing homes or assisted living facilities. Just 1.8% of the population live in nursing homes or assisted living facilities. Yet, these facilities have tallied 42% of all COVID-19 deaths. Now, we shut down for that. 1.8% 
of the population lives in nursing homes or assisted living, yet these facilities had 42% of all COVID-19 deaths. And most of those are in New York, New Jersey, Minnesota. Okay, brief time out. We will continue. Get to your phone calls right after this. Don't go anywhere. All right. Now, normally, my friends, I would just keep going. I got so much to get in here today that I would keep going, and I probably wouldn't get to the phones in this hour. But I have decided I'm going to take a break here and and go to the phones uh, because also the caller wants to talk about something I was going to do anyway. It is George in Londonderry, New Hampshire. George, glad you called, and welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, Rush. It's an honor to speak with you. Hey, I wanted to juxtapose uh, President Trump and Vice President Biden over the past few weeks and this weekend of Memorial Day service. Um, President Trump stood up there, projected leadership, whereas uh, former Vice President Biden showed up almost as if he was in mourning. Memorial Day is certainly a solemn holiday, but it's one of remembrance and honoring. It's not, it's not like a funeral, and he was dressed like a funeral. Um, and then I think the other thing I would look at is the way that they've reacted over the past few months. Vice President Biden has said he has to stay home because the governor of Delaware is telling him to, whereas President Trump is, again, projecting leadership. He goes to Michigan. He you know, goes to the Ford plant and infamously or famously doesn't wear a mask in front of the reporters. Um, I think all this points to why everyone wants to keep um, Biden in hiding because he, he's not going to be able to win if this uh, COVID-19 pandemic and shutdown uh, completely opens up. Well, you see, that's, that, that's exactly right. That, that is the point. There, Biden is using his governor's uh, edict as an excuse. Biden doesn't want to leave home. Biden doesn't want to venture out. He has no desire whatsoever. to. He knows, and everybody around him knows, that, uh, that Joe's elevator doesn't go to the top floors anymore. I mean, even even the Breakfast Club guy that interviewed Plugs last week asked him that question. He said, I don't think all the gears are turning in your head or whatever. Uh, Brian, do the switch. This is Plugs yesterday celebrating Memorial Day. Now, this is what the caller means by Plugs dressing up like it's a funeral on Memorial Day, which is not a funer- funereal day. Memorial Day is a... A day of pomp and circumstance, great celebration. But here he is wearing the mask because the mask, and I know you know that the mask has become a required symbol on the left to promote fear, to uh, promote indecision, to, to promote the notion that we're nowhere near out of this. And they're demanding that everybody wear masks and they haven't been able to get Trump in a mask, and they're going crazy. And this is why. They want a picture. If you're watching on the Ditto Cam, we got plugs looking like an abject idiot wearing his solid black mask. This is what they want to be able to show everybody Trump doing, and Trump will not give them this. Does that look inspiring? Does that picture, does that convey any kind of leadership? What's It does not. Uh, Joe Biden is, I, 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 it's got to be tough because he knows he's not up to it. He knows that he's not uh, physically, mentally able to go through the, the rigors here. And I'm going to tell you this gaffe of his, hey, if, 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 if you don't vote for Biden, you ain't black. Uh, 
that's going to have deeper reverberations in black community than anybody will lead you to know or believe. You will not, they'll never talk about it. They'll talk about it as something, oh, Joe's apologized for that. Oh, Joe has, uh, he's walked that back. Oh, no, no, Joe, Joe, Joe straightened that out. Uh, Joe, Joe, uh, he got, he got that. No, that, that is something because the, what he ended up confirming is the Democrat Party sure as hell takes every black vote for granted. In fact, they look at the African-American population. They don't see people. They see voters. They see people who, if they know what's best for them, are going to vote Democrat. It's not even, they don't even couch it in particularly liking these people. And it's not just African-Americans. Same thing with certain aspects of other demographic groups like Hispanics and Latinos. But the idea here that that if you ain't black, uh, if you don't vote for Biden, you ain't black. Uh, this is normally the kind of gaffe that an accredited, approved liberal, and in fact the vice president for Obama, would have been given an immediate pass on. And the way they would have given him the immediate pass is to is to call out his. Uh, Elevator not going to the to the top floor condition, whatever they call it, whatever they would refer to it. But they didn't even stop there. They hammered him on this like he had no excuse for making them. Normally, they're covering for this guy. Every gaffe he makes, they cover for it. They come up with some reasonable explanation. With this, they didn't even try because they know how devastating it was. And they sent him out there and they made him do the, uh, the, the, the mea culpa because the idea that Democrats take the black vote for granted is a big deal now and has been for a while in the African-American community. Be right back. Okay, it's the fastest three hours in media proof. The first hour is already in the can. And on the way over to Limbaugh Broadcast Museum, sit tight. Your locally by EIB affiliate telling you what's going on where you are. And then we will come back and be back before you know it with the second big hour of broadcast excellence today. Sit tight, folks. Back. And welcome back to the EIB Network. Rush Limbaugh. Great to be with you, my friends, behind the golden EIB microphone. As uh, I guess summer now has officially begun, even though it doesn't happen on a calendar until June 20th or 21st, we're still going to say that summer has begun. Hey, Brian, did you watch, did you watch the match on Sunday, the golf tour? Pardon me? You didn't watch the whole thing? You did, you only watched a little bit of it. Um, what did you think? What do you think? Any of it, what surprised you the most? This is the golf tournament for COVID-19. It was Tiger Woods and uh, Peyton Manning, Phil Mickelson, and Tom Brady. What, 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 what surprised you the most? Go ahead and tell me. Go ahead and say it. Don't. You, he's saying he was surprised that Tom Brady was not having as good a day as you thought. He's a 6.8 handicap. He's a much better player than what he showed that day. My gosh, they're playing in the rain for crying out loud. They're playing in a in a in a, in a monsoon. Uh, he hasn't played in a long time. He went. Out, he played 18 holes in the morning because his game has been so bad. 
He played 18 holes that morning trying to get his game back. But, man, we have all been there. I, all of us who play golf have all been there on the kind of day Tom Brady had. Some of us have even been there when it's been televised. I had one of the worst rounds of golf in my life in the, uh, in the Bob Hope Chrysler Classic. Like the second or third year I played was with Fuzzy Zeller. And I had the shanks. All, it was just horrible. And the media loved it. The media loved showing every shot going awry. They used the tracer on me when they very rarely use the tracer on amateurs in those in those tournaments. And Brady had one of those kinds of days. Um, and he, he stuck with it, and his temperament didn't waver. It was, uh, you know, golf will tell you everything you need to know about somebody uh, in, in pretty much any which way you want to know them. But it was... Uh, it was a fun event to watch. I was I was surprised they they went ahead and played it in the rain, but I guess they had no choice because of all the commitments. <clears throat> Excuse me, that had uh, that had been made. Uh, I got several emails during the first hour with questions about my physical condition, and it's one of the reasons I I didn't divulge a whole lot of detail. Um, there are many reasons why I don't do that. A, privacy. B, media doing investigations. If I were to give you the name for what I have, you would not believe I'm still here after you looked it up. And that's another reason why I'm not divulging the actual name. But one of the interesting emails I got was, you have lung cancer. It sounds like you can breathe okay. Ha, <laughs> folks. I occasionally go through shortness of breath. There are measures that so far work to alleviate it. But there are days I can't take five steps without having to stop uh, and sit down. And I can't carry anything of, of any significant, uh, any, like a briefcase. Uh, when, when those episodes of shortness of breath are happening. But we've got a handle on it. We've found a way to limit them. Uh, in in terms of uh, how often they happen and what the duration of uh, of the symptoms are, but oh yeah, I mean that's that's one of the classic symptoms of uh, of what I have. But but so far, just so you, I'm 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 able to function. Uh, I I wouldn't say that I'm I, I can't play golf. I wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, or any other outside what might be considered strenuous or less strenuous uh, activity. Look, what I basically have accepted is that during this phase of the treatment, and probably the next, I am not going to feel what I always thought of as normal. And in fact, in this whole process, the last time I felt normal I told you about it. It was when we went off the clinical trial drugs after they nearly wiped me out. And I was off of those for nearly three weeks to get them out of my system before starting on the next cycle. And during those three weeks, and you people have done this will know exactly what I'm talking about. During those three weeks with no treatment, uh, meaning, meaning no cancer medicine, I felt normal. As normal and as good as I can remember feeling. So good and so normal, I told you about it. 
But I have come to accept that those days are long gone. But that's okay. You know, everything is about adapting. And we humans are the only species that have that ability to adapt to whatever our surroundings are. What do you mean by that? You keep putting down... No, all I mean is that a parrot cannot build a house to shelter itself from the rain. Now, it can try to shelter itself underneath existing tree branches and leaves and so forth, but only humans have the ability to adapt. A gorilla will never be able to invent air conditioning to make his life better in the jungle. We can. We did. That's what I mean by adapting. So... I have this given set of circumstances, and I have to adapt to them. And part of the adaptation is being honest with myself about uh, what I can and can't do, and then zeroing in on what I want to make sure that I can continue to do, that I like doing for as long uh, as I can. And that happens to be the purpose of the, of the treatment. The purpose of the treatment is to make the patient feel as good as possible for as long as possible. And that's the that's the target. That's the uh, that's the objective. No, no, no. I never never thought this was going to happen. I mean, who do, who does? But uh, well, I guess maybe some people do. Uh, but but uh, no, I never did. Anyway, I, I appreciate appreciate all of the um, the questions and the prayers and the the interest that you've all shown. Believe me, it's over the top. It's inspiring just to read your notes and to get the feedback from all of you. I, I sincerely uh, and deeply appreciate it. Okay, let me get back here to the subject at hand. I've got a series of stories here in the stack of stuff that are really aimed at demonstrating how pretty much everything we've been told here from the beginning of this has not been true. Oh, and some of you sly, sly dogs out there, you've sent me emails. Do you realize when you say this, you're including Trump? You're saying Trump lied? Trump. No, I'm not including Trump in it. I mean, I guess I could. But I think Trump was lied to, too, by people he wanted to believe. He was lied to by people he wanted to respect. He was lied to by people he wanted to respect him. Look, I know... I know the person, Donald Trump, better than some of his close friends know him. I just do. Do not doubt me on this. I know the president's psychology. I know his, not as a trained psychologist, I'm just telling I know the guy. I know what motivates him. I know what makes him happy. I know the kind of things that he uh, would hope to have happened. He didn't, he didn't want any of this. He fully expected, I'm not making it, he fully expected that a month after he was inaugurated that all this stuff would go by the wayside and the country would unify. His experience in New York has been universal love. They loved him when he was on The Apprentice. They loved him when he was operating his casinos in Atlantic City. They loved him when he was a back page, front page, New York Post, page six. They loved him constantly. He got used to it. Now, not everybody in Manhattan, and there's still some rivalries and so forth. But he didn't want any of this. And the, the, the amazing thing is, you talk about adaptation, he, once it started, once this vitriol, once this hatred, once he realized what they were trying to do to him, 
he did not change to try to make them go away. Did not change to um, and bill and bend to their will in order to make it go away. He stood up and took the fight to them. But this, in one sense, is one of the major disappointments of his life. This whole hoax, the uh, the coup. It's not a badge of honor. I don't care what anybody says. It's not a badge of honor. It ticks you off. But it it informed him. It alerted him to what he was up against and who he was up against. And it prepared him for doing battle with them. And he still is taking it to them. And I, for one, am grateful that he does. I'm grateful that he has not succumbed to it. Most people would have by now. Donald Trump didn't even need any of this. Donald Trump had what many people would consider the ideal life. He didn't need to do any of this, meaning run for president, meaning any of this grief. He didn't need it. His life could have been perfectly fine and enjoyable without any of this. But he did it. And then when the excrement show started, he hung in there and he is still hanging in there. But, yeah, they continue lying to him. They lied to him about the virus. They lied to him about 2.2 million people might die. And it was only because the people he was talking to, the creme de la creme in American health care, in American uh, disease, uh, in, in American medicine. And he also wanted to believe they were on his side, despite what he's seen from the FBI, despite what he's seen from Comey, despite what he's seen from Mueller, despite all that. In this instance, he still wanted to believe that people were on his side, that were willing to work because of the nature of this virus and disease and the potential problem. But it didn't take him long to figure out what their real objective was. Their real objective was to get the country shut down, get the economy stopped, keep it shut down as long as possible so that the negative impact on him would be insurmountable. He would not be able to win re-election in November once he figured that out. Now, I know many of you are saying he should have known it from the get-go. Maybe. Uh, not going not gonna to comment on it. Uh, Remember, Trump, even after all of this, is not instinctively political, meaning he's not instinctively ideological. He still looks at all these Democrats. He does not see liberalism first. He sees it at some point as he's assessing them. But he sees them as the opposition. He sees them as uh, Democrats. He sees them as fake news or liars or, or what have you. Now, let's get into some of the data here. This is uh, this is John Solomon's website, Just the News. Headline, CDC, coronavirus fatality rate could be as low as 0.26%. New estimates released by the CDC and Prevention, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, indicate that the COVID-19 may have an infection fatality rate as low as 0.26%. Now, that number is about double the seasonal flu number. The seasonal flu number is 0.13. 
But that 0.26 is so much lower than what they were telling us at the outset of this. They had it at 6%. They had it at 3%. They had it at 9%. It was all over the place. The world's economies, this is the way to look at this. The world's economies were shut down for a virus that is double the fatality rate of the seasonal flu. And we don't shut down anything for the flu, and we never have. We don't take precautions to protect hospitals. We don't do diddly squat every flu season. For healthy people, people with no pre-existing conditions, COVID-19 is essentially the flu. Experts, quote-unquote, were spectacularly wrong. Politics. Politics, not health. Politics, not medicine. Politics, computer models that have never been right, drove America's economy into the ground. And it was an excuse to destroy Donald Trump's presidency, destroy Donald Trump. The coronavirus was going to finish what the Obama deep state started, what Robert Mueller couldn't finish, what Adam Schiff couldn't finish, the virus was going to finish. Even today, a handful of blue state governors continue to fearmonger. And I'm just going to tell you, if the economy doesn't bounce back strong, the blame is going to land squarely on Democrats because they are the ones who are doing everything they can to convince people that we shouldn't be opening up, lockdown should not end. Despite the facts, despite the science of the virus, they continue the charade that the general population is as much at risk as the nursing homes they packed with COVID-19 patients, and it isn't. Now, that number, 0.26%, let's look at this different way, different story. This Jacob Solomon Reason Magazine, Libertarian publication. Headline, the CDC's new best estimate implies a COVID-19 infection fatality rate below 0.3%. That that rate is much lower than the numbers were used in the horrifying projections that shaped the government response to this. If this number had been used from the get-go, we wouldn't have shut down, not to the extent that we did. A a, a longer-than-two-week shutdown was never necessary. So let me just review this. No, let me not review it, because I have to take an EIB obscene profit break. I'll have enough time on the other side to review it, because i got to go through this. Hang on. We'll be back before you know it, folks. Okay, just to review. We blew up the economy. We robbed 25% plus of the people in this country of their jobs. We shut down their jobs. We shut down their businesses. Some of them, sadly, maybe permanently. We have printed, slashed, borrowed enough money to put our children and grandchildren into even deeper debt. We've installed a pandemic of fear that causes many people to walk around with worthless masks and avoid being civil to each other, likely for years. And it's amazing to me we were able to do all of this destructive damage in two months. In two months, we were able, you look at it one way, in two months, we were able to unravel 
over 250 years of the country's existence. All for something that kills almost exclusively the very old who already have existing serious health issues. We've done all of this in a country where 99.7, it's even more, 99.7% do not die. We've done all of this. It just, it, it, it's stunning. And the last thing it is, is adult level thinking. You know what it's done? You know, people talk about what they're afraid of. What scares them? Remember, some people say, I'm afraid, you know, people ain't going to want to go back to work, Rush. I'm afraid they're going to get comfortable out there getting these checks that come in every two weeks. Well, what this has done, among other things, it has exposed the sheep among us. It has exposed the people among us who prefer assumed security from an all-powerful authoritative government, from the liberty-loving people among us. The liberty-loving people among us want no part and wanted no part of any of this and have been pushing back against it for quite a while now. Other people have just acted like sheep, done whatever the authoritarians told them to do, But the scary thing that that, that so many people in this country would willingly give up the authority in their lives to a command and control bunch of politicians, it either does or does not speak highly of our educational system. And it certainly doesn't say much for how we've been teaching liberty and freedom. It certainly doesn't say much about how we've been teaching the Constitution. If it's, if it's this easy, and we have you know, quite a difficult job getting people back oriented toward fending for themselves. We have to do it, though. Okay, time to get back to the phones. I appreciate all your patience out there. People have been waiting a while. This is Connie in Cleveland. It's great to have you. Hi. Hi, Raj. How you doing? This Good. is my first time calling. Um, I was, you know, I appreciated the fact that everybody brought up the, um, and I agreed with, um, that Biden, you know, made the statement about, you know, if you don't kind of vote for me, you're you're not black, you know, if you have to make that. Yeah, you know, I the get second that. Second sentence. You know, yeah, I get that. After yeah. that, yeah. He said, "I gave you twenty-five years of civil rights." Who is he? A slave owner? Uh, Biden said he gave him 25 years of civil rights. Right after he said that about if you're not black. Yeah, well, you know what? You know, you know, you know, you know, you know, Brian, uh, Biden also gave him the crime bill that put uh, millions of them back in jail. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? He's telling that gentleman not to hang up on him or not to leave him because he gave him 25 years of civil rights. And I'm thinking, okay, you don't look like Abraham Lincoln. I don't think you're quite that old. And he gave it to him. What's he going to do? Take it back? Um, in, in what in another ten years or something? Well, see, this is the thing that no. What the the point of this is that if you look at what's behind a statement like that is the attitude. Biden looks at these people. He looks at that host Charlemagne the God, 
You know, I, I'm flat out amazed that Biden didn't ask this guy who made him a god. I'm flat out amazed that Biden, Charlemagne was a was a king. What are we God? Who made you God? But the idea that that Biden would say. I gave you 25 years of civil rights. That tells you everything you need to know about not just Biden, the Democrat Party's view of black people. They need to damn well be appreciative. They need to appreciate what the Democrats are doing for them. It's there there is there's no back and forth. This is a one way street. Blacks vote for Democrats or else. But here's the thing, you know, I I have been making this point for I don't know how long. The Democrat Party has been promising African Americans, and I say 50 years, it's actually my whole life, to fix all this racism, all the pay disparity, all the discrimination, all the racism, bigotry, sexism, home. They've been promising to fix this stuff, and largely they've been doing that, they're making that promise. Not by telling African-Americans their lives are going to get any better. No, the Democrats are going to punish the racists and the sexists and the bigots. How? By raising their taxes or doing whatever. And it's, it's, it's amazed me. I, I know that the civil rights leadership is all in because the Democrats gave them a position at the table, which meant that the civil rights leadership, this would be, the NAACP, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharp, these people get dibs on money. And it's always about the money. And as long as they're covered, as long as they get paid, then the Democrats are fine. And as long as Sharpton and Jackson deliver black turnout every four years, then Sharpton and Jackson continue to get a seat at the Democrat Party power table. But it isn't about improving the lives of African Americans. If it were, there would be some in 50 years. But have you noticed, if you pay attention, every African American complaint is identical to what it's been the past 50 years. Jim Crow here, discrimination there, racism over there, sexism over here. Unfair percentages of blacks in prison over here. I mean, it it never changes. And if I were African-American, forget being in the civil rights leadership, if I were African-American, I'd be asking, what the hell are these people actually doing for me? You know, I, I've got jobs where my, my, my dues are taken from me and that money goes to the Democrat Party. I have to donate even when I don't want to. What, what, what am I getting out of it? And believe me, you know, I don't look at politics as what I'm getting out of it, but they do. People that vote Democrat do. People that vote Democrats sure as heck are low. What am I getting out of it? What, what's in it for me? And they're not getting diddly squat. They're getting attitude. You don't vote for Biden. You're not even black. Or... This, uh, this this idea that I gave you civil rights 25 years ago. So they're, they're, they're supposed to be constantly appreciative, constantly uh, demonstrating that appreciation. They're supposed to be in a never-ending attitude of deep appreciation, thankfulness. 
That's what Biden expects. It's what Obama expects. It's what all of them expect. And, you know, Biden gave away the game with uh, with both those comments. Connie, thank you. This is Danell in San Bernardino, California. Daniel, I'm sorry. Daniel, welcome to the program. Hello. Hello, Mr. Limbaugh. Uh, thank you. I thank Jesus so much for giving you such great knowledge and foresight. And I personally pray for you and Catherine and your health, as does my family. And I've got to say, I love your show. I always agree with you. And I voted for Bush. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that sounds vaguely familiar. Thank yes, you. Thank, thank you very much. Absolutely. So, uh, Mr. Limbaugh, the reason I'm calling is I wanted to let you know that I'm still working. I haven't stopped working through all of this. Uh, my job has obviously required social distancing and all that shenanigans, uh, but I've actually benefited from this coronavirus situation. And I'm, I'm actually so grateful. I'm actually being paid two more dollars per hour on top of my base wage to come to work. So when overtime comes, that and that overtime opportunity comes, I definitely want to work because I'm just banking on all that money. And the people at work, my, like the people that I work with, the attitude that they have about the situation, they honestly don't care if we reopen or not because they have a job. And it's kind of sad. I mean, they have a steady income. And that stimulus check that we got for $1,200, it was just like an early fat Christmas bonus check. Um, and my, and my, now my coworkers don't like the situation. Uh, they don't prefer this uh, dumb. Wait, 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 What do they not like? The twelve hundred dollar check? Well, well, no, no. They like that. There, there was a couple workers who actually took a week off of work because they got that paycheck because they didn't need to work because they got it. But what they don't like, um, they don't like the uh, all the social distancing. They're wearing the face masks. Um, uh, every everything virtually being sanitized. Well, what do you tell them? What do you tell them when they complain about that? Well, I tell them, what do you mean you don't want the economy reopen? What do you mean you don't care? They said, well, I'm doing just fine. I'm still working. So I tell them we need this to be open because there are 36 other million Americans out there who don't have the opportunity to still work. And the entirety of America is choking. And they go, oh, well, well. Uh, it, it's it, they're, their demeanor and their atmosphere is just kind of toxic, you know. And I, and I get, I get the good news now listening to your show. But are these uh, is, are these people you're talking about millennials, for the most part? Yes, Mr. Lumbaugh, they are. Yes, they are. And it's uh, and a lot of them are still living with mom and dad. I have just moved out, so I'm not. So I'm out of my home, even during this coronavirus, actually. Daniel, let um, me my, let me let me tell you something. Uh, this is something that I've I've always known. And I have had it confirmed for me in spades during the past three months. Most people don't care about other people. Most people are so self-focused. They are so self-possessed, self-obsessed. I could give you striking examples. But it's, it's something I've had to adjust to because it disappoints me every time I encounter it. I remember when this lockdown began, and I am in various places seeing the shutdown cities, the ghost town cities, and the, 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 what it meant to me was behind every closed down business or boarded up storefront was a human being, a person, an American, 
They may be an employee behind that door. They may be the owner. They may have taken out loans. They may have extended. It may be their dream behind that door. And it broke my heart. And I told everybody that from the first moment I experienced When I got back to the radio, I would tell everybody. It was, breaking my, it was the reason why I said it can't go on. It's the reason I said this is not sustainable. People were being ruined. And while that was happening, there wasn't any concern from the coronavirus task force for weeks about this aspect of it. They didn't even talk about it. Now, I'm not I'm not uh, uh, aiming fire at them uh, for that. I'm just illustrating, just observing that most people are always going to think of themselves first. Their own satisfaction, their own pleasure overcoming their own obstacles and so forth. Uh, Most people do not take the time uh, to be concerned about others. It's a a smaller number than than you would think. But I do. Uh, As I I say, it, it it was breaking my heart looking at this. It was breaking my heart. And all the while, my instincts were telling me, this isn't necessary. We've never done this before. This has never happened. Why the hell are we doing this? So I started examining the politics of it because politics is always going to be, in this day and age, the explainer. It's all, you're always going to be able to find the answer to this stuff in politics. The idea that you do care, the idea that you do have some interest and concern above and beyond yourself means that you also have some interest and concern for the country above and beyond yourself and that's a good thing i hope you i hope you uh you hold on to it because it's uh it's key you have to pick up the slack for those who don't anyway i appreciate the call daniel thanks much i gotta go quick time out back in a moment Okay, my friends, welcome back. Rush Limbaugh, talent on loan from God. I'm not a delve into the audio sound bites. I want to go back to me last Thursday on this program. Can I get real cynical for you? Try this. The more people who die, the more energy the Democrats have to blame Trump for it. Why do you think these models are showing increased projection of death, along with the increased projection of cases. Because to these people, more death equals more blame on Donald Trump. This is the campaign strategy in toto of the Democrat Party. They can't find any other way to beat Trump. When I tell you that the more people who die, the more they blame Trump, you can get mad at me but all you want, but it happens to be the strategy. It happens to be the plan, because the number of deaths, just like the economy and its numbers, the more deaths go up and the more the economy goes down, the Democrats perceive it to be better for them. Now, I know it's a tough thing for a lot of people to get their arms around and believe, no, Rush, come on, the Democrats are not hoping for more deaths to hurt. Yes, they are. It's the plan. The Democrats want more illegal immigrants. The Democrats want more of an underclass. The Democrats want more of all kinds of things that are destructive to the country in order to do damage to the people who are succeeding. That Trump would be at the at the top of that list. Now, I'm going to give you an example of 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 this. 
if I can try to correlate, you know, my, my last caller, I pointed out most people don't care about other most despite the motions they go through. I'm telling you, in, in real life, most people are so self-focused, so self-absorbed, they don't have time to worry about anybody else. Let me give you the evidence or an illustration. You know, one of my big deals is how so many people are in a prison. They put themselves in because they're worried about what other people think. They're worried about what other people think of them, think of what they say, think of their jobs, think of how they look. Everybody, most everybody is in a prison. If you can get out of that prison, I cannot tell you how much happier you will be. If you could ever get to the point where you don't care what anybody thinks about you. But Rush, we have to be concerned about our reputation. Yeah, but don't let them define it. You be in charge of your reputation, not them. You cannot behave in a way to make everybody like you. You cannot behave in a way to make everybody think you're great. You can't behave in a way to make everybody accept you. You got to be who you are. While everybody here's this is this is the big irony. While everybody out there, if you're one of these people obsessed with what other people think of you, what do you think of them? You must think they're totally put together. They have no hang-ups. They have nothing wrong with them. That they're out there solid, and you're worried about what they think. When the truth is, they're not even thinking about you because they're so self-absorbed in what you think about them. That is the great irony of being so obsessed with what people think about you. Most people are not thinking about you because most people are indeed self-absorbed, self-conscious, what have you. Now, back to the audio sound bites. I just got through saying last Thursday, more death, more cases equals more opportunity to blame Trump. Here is a media montage from yesterday, last night and this morning. A grim milestone is approaching the coronavirus pandemic. Almost 100,000 Americans have now died. Closing in on a grim milestone approaching 100,000. The president spent the weekend playing golf as the nation nears a very grim, a very sad milestone. The nation stares down a grim milestone. A grim new milestone. Another grim milestone. A grim milestone. Certainly a grim milestone. A grim milestone of 100,000 Americans dying. The grim milestone of 100,000 deaths. The U.S. reaches the grim milestone of 100,000 COVID deaths, a marker the president once said he hoped the country would never see. Do you do you hear the, I don't know, happiness? Do you, do you hear the eagerness in their voices to report this? And do you hear the uniformity of phrase? A grim milestone. A grim And the New York Times yesterday with its front page nothing but the names of people who have died. Do not doubt me on this. This is an effort to link Trump to the deaths. It is an effort to blame him for them. It is an effort, and they're also setting the stage for what they hope will be a second wave where they can then advocate for a new shutdown. That's what they're hoping happens. Another brief timeout, and we will be right back. Hey, Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci has finally admitted this happened back on Friday. 
that the lockdown might do irreparable damage. Something I opined on, something I told you two weeks into this. Dr. Fauci, up until last Friday, was dead set against any opening. Now, what what happened? What made Dr. Fauci... I mean, this is not just changing his mind. This is a drastic misdirection of opinion. Big, big time change. Now, look at this. I don't know if you've heard about this or not. The NFL says that they are planning on having full stadiums in September. Even in August for the preseason. This is from a league official at the NFL. It's a Fox News story. Now, this I think this is the kind of thing that is needed. I would call this courage. People need to see. People need to experience normal. Lockdowns and shutdowns are not normal. There is no way that any aspect of shutdown or lockdown should become normal in any way. Like wearing masks for the rest of our lives. And this gets so unnecessary. Mask is simply a symbol of fear anyway that's now in the Democrat Party arsenal. Baseball teams, football teams, leagues can play a leading role, I think, in recovering from all of this. And I'm, folks, I'm just going to say, I think this, this whole shutdown lockdown has been one of the biggest mistakes in modern history. Now, I'm, I'm not going to start pointing fingers of blame anywhere that's... There's enough to go around, but it was a political objective that the Democrat Party and the, the, look, the administrative state, the deep state, whatever you want to call that faction of elites in Washington and the European Union, you'll note how they were able to coordinate this around the world. It should give you an idea of just how advanced globalism is. I'm sure these people that did this were stunned at how easy it was. We need to get young, healthy people outside doing what they were born to do. The sooner, the better. Now, it'll trigger. Look, I'm not naive here. If the NFL starts playing the full stadiums, baseball does the same, it's going to trigger a new round of social media hysteria. But I am so fed up with social media governing things, too. A bunch of anonymous nabobs that we don't even know get to sit in for public opinion. When did this happen? The media uses social media, Twitter primarily, as a stand-in for going out and finding out what people actually think. Social media has replaced public opinion. And they can go find whatever social media they want because there is insanity throughout social media. And they can pick and choose whatever they want to illustrate their point. And then we end up being governed by it. So let social media go hysteria. It's no no different than the politically correct crowd or the environmentalist wackos getting hysterical and trying to determine influence behavior. Look, there's no There's no avoiding it. The politics of fear can be overcome, and sports can play a central role in it. So can pictures of people at pool parties. Look, if we don't have a deadly outbreak two weeks from now, 
people are going to say their fear is misplaced. And I'm sure we're going to have stories of an outbreak somewhere. You better just get ready for it. But the bottom line is the NFL planning to have the they're planning for the best case scenario when the season returns this fall. According to one league official, this includes packed stadiums, not 25 percent full, not 10 percent full. Packed stadiums. Okay, here's the uh, Dr. Fauci soundbite. This is from Friday. He was on CNBC's Fast Money Halftime Report. Co-host Scott Wapner talking to Dr. Fauci said, how do you address what others have said? That it's just time to open the country now. It's time to protect just the most vulnerable. We certainly want to, in a cautious way, reopening. We can't stay locked down for such a considerable period of time that you might do irreparable damage and have unintended consequences, including consequences for health. And it's for that reason why the guidelines are being put forth so that the states and the cities can start to reenter and reopen. All right. I'm genuinely curious. Do you know what changed for Dr. Fauci? What was it? Okay, so you think that Dr. Fauci has been forced into revising his opinion because the states have reopened and everything is fine. And Dr. Fauci will look like an idiot if he doesn't acknowledge this. That is your theory. Well, I guess we can go with it. Now, don't misunderstand, folks. I, I, but I have been saying that's the exact thing. Since two weeks into the shutdown. Now, don't misunderstand. I know that the drive-by media is never going to treat me as the oracle they treat Dr. Fauci. The media is going to sit around and wait for me to what they think is step in it and then report that. Whereas Dr. Fauci, oh, Dr. Fauci says it's uh, okay to open. Like lockdown might do irreparable damage. You can't find him even alluding to that as recently as three weeks ago. Any time reopening came, look, and I'm not dumping on Dr. Fauci, but any time there was a good story, any time there was good news, who was it usually throwing cold water on it? It was Dr. Fauci. Or it was somebody from the Coronavirus Task Force. And it was, it was like clockwork. Anyway, I'm glad. I'm glad that Dr. Fauci uh, has has moved in uh, in our direction here, because it's only common sense. This is something that anybody should have known two weeks into this irreparable damage done by the lockdown, irreparable damage to the economy, to the American people, to their lives, to their livelihoods, to America's cities. It still is what has me bamboozled about these Democrat blue state governors. They seem obsessed remaining locked down. And look, we all know why. They've probably got their marching orders from somebody. It's a political objective. Damage Trump. Do whatever they can. Because some of these blue states happen to be battleground states where Trump in specific places did well. And it's sad that they would behave this way and have these objectives, but don't 
doubt me, they they do. Look at there's uh, there's there's Kaylee McEnany, Kaylee McEnany, new White House uh, press secretary. She is getting beaten up by the media for simply doing her job well. You know, the media has behaved like a bunch of kindergartners, a bunch of spoiled brats, and nobody complains and talks about how childish they are, how damaging they are, how unprofessional they are. All she does is throw it back at them. And she throws it back at them politely. She has a velvet glove way of nuking them. So now they're out there saying, what she's doing is outrageous. What she's doing is damageful. I have never seen anything as counterproductive as Kaylee McEnany. All that means is that she is effective. She can be. Well, no. no, no. I was the featured speaker, keynote speaker at one of Brent Bozell's events. This must go back three years, maybe four. It was at Washington. In Washington. And it was... Uh, it was his awards dinner where they, they hand out awards for the wackiest leftist clips from the drive-by media, video clips. They have all kinds of people up there introducing them. And I was the key. This is, this, is the, um, this is the event where, you know, they're all watching these video clips of all these wacko libs in the media doing and saying what they're saying, lying through their teeth. And they're just getting the biggest time in the audience laughing. And I said, I got walked up there. I said, you know, you guys... You're laughing, but they believe this. You had you had better take this seriously. This is exactly what they believe. And it was insane. I wish I could give you examples. It was in things that that uh, Chris Matthews has said or or take your pick of any outrageous leftist anchor or news correspondent. And I I look I'm fine with comedy and people laughing at things, and it was it is funny, but it's also my caution. You guys, they believe this stuff, and it's it it, it means that you can laugh at them all day long, and you're not going to shame them, and you're you're not going to get them to stop. You're not going to get them to change the way they're doing their jobs. You can laugh at them all you want, but they believe it. Anyway, I met Kaylee McEnany at this. She was there. And she came up to me. She was so sweet, so nice. She credited me for her conservatism and knowledge of conservatism. That she was a young girl and she was driving around in her dad's truck with her dad. And her dad had the Rush Limbaugh program on. And she absorbed it. She was really, really uh, nice. She's a class act. And she's, uh, she's excellent at what she's doing in this job. As uh, as as press secretary. Okay, one more set of sound bites. You, you, you before we go to the break. Now you tell me if this what you're going to hear is something you associate with a winning enterprise or a winning team or a winning attitude, an organization that is winners. You know, Danny Ainge once said to me, that he was playing for the Phoenix Suns, and the Suns were in the NBA Finals with the Chicago Bull. And I'm talking to Danny Ainge, I'm on a charter flight with the, with the Suns into Chicago. And I forget how the subject came up, but he said, you know, Rush, a lot of teams don't have people who know how to win. And it 
it took me aback because I thought winning was what it was all about. I thought, particularly at the championship level. So I was a little surprised. What do you mean, don't know how to win? You win by having more points, more runs? No, 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 not that. They don't know how to do it. They don't know how to respond to various situations that create various types of pressure. It, it, there, there is a specific knowledge, and it comes from experience, of knowing how to win. And it's, it's born of winning. I mean, if, if you, if you uh, happen to be on a team like the New England Patriots, they know how to win. They're down 28-3. to three in the middle of the third quarter against the Atlanta Falcons, and they know how to win. Now, it helps that they have Tom Brady, but attitudinally, they know how to win. They didn't give up. They didn't panic. The knowledge of knowing how to win is also inclusive of the confidence that you can, that you will win. So I have two sound bites here from James Carville. I just want you to tell me, If this sounds like a spokesman or an analyst for a bunch of winners, it happened on the uh, podcast, on some podcast on Thursday. We have two sound bites, and here's the first one. He's going to get his fat ass beat. Question is, by how much? If we go and take it to him and talk about what a massive fat failure he is then we can run away with this thing. The idea is not just to defeat Trump. You have to defeat Trumpism. You have to defeat the idea that the United States of America is a place and not an idea. Gotta get off this jag that he's winning. He is losing. He's a big fat loser. All right? This guy hadn't seen his d- since nineteen eighty eight. Mr. Snurdly, what do you think Carville was referring to there that we bleeped out? That's right. He's saying that Donald Trump has not seen his penis since 1988. Now, does this strike you? Didn't mean to offend you in there, Dawn. Does this strike you as 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 a winning? And what is this fat loser? This, this fat business comes from Pelosi, who was out there calling Trump morbidly obese, so he picks up on it. A fat loser. That's all they've got. You think that's how Michael Jordan looked at opponents that he respected? No. No way. And this line, you have to defeat Trumpism. You have to defeat the idea that the United States of America is a place and not an idea. <clears throat> have to defeat the idea that the United States of America is a place. Hey, James, I hate to tell you, but I think it's you Democrats who think that. You're the open borders crowd. You don't think in nation states anymore. You guys believe in globalism. As far as you're concerned, America is just a geographic location. And you're for, you're for wiping out borders or opening them up. The United States of America is an idea, and you guys in the Democrat Party haven't been loyal to it in I don't know how long. Here's the second soundbite. To not be for Biden is to be for Trump. Understand that. Jill Stein, who was a Russian agent, don't don't doubt me on that. If you don't, pull up the picture of her 
and Michael Flynn and Vladimir Putin in Moscow. Good grief. They got no evidence whatsoever the Russians did anything. And here's James Carville. This is a guy that got Clinton elected. And he's losing his mind, which a lot of people up against Trump do. Jill Stein was a Russian agent. And if you don't believe it, look at the picture of her and Michael Flynn with Putin. Anyway, a brief timeout as we continue with much more on the EIB Network right after this. Say, have you heard about COVID-19 in the UK and their search for a vaccine and their trial over there? There is such a decline in coronavirus cases in the UK that Oxford University doctors who are working on a coronavirus vaccine are worried that their vaccine can't be tested because there are not enough people infected with the virus in the general population. Because the people given the vaccine or a placebo need to be exposed to people with it. Have you heard about this? Well, it's, it's, it's out there. It's a UK Telegraph story. And I'll guarantee you the drive-by media here is going to do their best to keep this one from you. Or at least, uh, you know, reshape it, redesign it. But the COVID-19 vaccine trial, which is being done in conjunction with Oxford University, may fail because the transmission of COVID-19 from person to person in the population isn't enough. Not enough people, new people, are getting the virus. Such There is a 50 50% chance that the trial may give no result. Holy smokes, doesn't sound like a uh, second wave to me, does it? You know, my friends, every day that you're online, you're likely to put your information at risk on the Internet. By information, I mean your private stuff. Uh, credit card numbers. Uh, driver's license number. I mean, you may even screw up and, and put your social security number out there somewhere. There's all kinds of data that you enter into numerous databases every day on the Internet because you're trusting and you're confident and you do business with a bunch of various different online businesses. Something as simple as placing an online order can lead to your information ending up in the hands of cyber criminals. These are identity thieves. They're looking constantly for new ways to illegally access databases of customer information. I mean, they're, they're constantly inventing new ones, new types of phishing attacks, uh, denial of service, massive attacks, any number of things they try. You have to protect yourself. And the best way to do that is with LifeLock. LifeLock are the leaders in online identity theft protections because LifeLock continually monitors billions of online transactions every day of their members. They are on the lookout for suspicious activity in every one of their members' accounts. And if they find it, they alert the member, and the member gets to weigh in on whether it's him or not engaging in the activity. Now, no one company can prevent all identity theft. But, folks, I'm telling you, LifeLock is going to do the best job at both detecting your online identity being in the wrong hands and in helping you restore your good name if an online crime happens, they've got a restoration team. And it's exactly, they sit there and they restore you and they don't stop until they have fixed whatever the problem is. They have the know-how and the commitment 
sign you a dedicated team to work with you. So sign up today at LifeLock. Get protected. You do it at LifeLock.com. And make sure you use my name when you sign up because that'll save you a gigantic and huge 25% off your first year using my name as the promo code. LifeLock.com. Use Rush. Here's, uh, here's Pat in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Great to have you on the program. I'm glad you waited. I appreciate that. Hi. Hi. What a miracle to talk to you. I just had to call you and say what a blessing you and President Trump and Catherine are to our country. I'm 82 years old in pretty good shape. I ride my bike every day. I've been accused of having too much common sense. So I listen to the radio. I read the paper. No TV for me. That's that's all you get is lies. Did you say no TV for you? mean no TV news? No TV, period. No TV, um, period? No, no. Like you don't even watch The Walking Dead. No, I, I don't even know what all that stuff is. And I'll tell you, I read the paper, the local, if they're liberal or conservative, but uh, I got uh, subscription to Epoch Times. And if you want the timeline on COVID, on Flynn, and a little bit of Conrad Black, that's the place to look. And my husband and I, when uh, Trump first started running, the first rally in El Paso, Texas, we're a half hour from there, we went down a little late, but the lies they told about that, there were 30,000 people for Trump. Uh, uh, Spanish American. Oh, yeah. You know what? They're, they're trying to stop those rallies from ever resuming. That is ex- that's one of the reasons for the ongoing lockdown and shutdown and why they hope there's a second wave. And I find this fascinating, too, because all during the 2016 campaign, the Democrats are out there saying of these rallies, eh, that doesn't mean anything. You can't gauge popularity or votes from crowd size at a rally. You know, while Hillary had 200 people, I mean, she didn't even know where she was at her rallies. They couldn't get her on the bus after one of her rallies. She couldn't even go up three steps to get on the bus. Meanwhile, here's Trump out there with 30,000, 25,000, 15, depending on the size of the of the venue. And they're all out there, that doesn't matter. It's just a bunch of deplorables showing up. It's a bunch of racist, sexist, bigots, whatever. And now, oh, now do they know the truth. So now they're trying to limit the rallies. If you doubt me, don't doubt me. Because, t- folks, one of the reasons the Democrats and their buddies in the in the health and medical fields are trying to warn everybody, don't go out there and start socializing, maintain social distance. They do not want these Trump rallies. So you know what's happening? The people who would normally go to Trump rallies are going to them without Trump. A bunch of voters are doing parades on various lakes and waterways all over the country. There was one here in Florida about uh, three weeks ago. Trump supporters are attending rallies. The only thing is Trump isn't at them. But they're not going to be stopped. They will not be shut down or locked down. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing to see. It really is. It's, it's, when you stop and look at this stuff seriously, intellectually, you look at all the Democrats are doing to stop Donald Trump, almost all of it, requires 
things that are negative for the country at large as well. That's, to me, a sign of how overwhelmingly successful the Trump economic agenda has been. It would be be one thing if all they had to do was stop Trump here or there. Uh, They've got to stop the country because Trump is so closely tied with record low African-American unemployment, record low Hispanic unemployment, record high labor force participation rate, record high employment, record high wage gains. Trump did all this in three years after an eight-year administration of Obama telling us the good old days are over and that there's a new norm now and the new norm is to be administered by Obama, a new era of decline that only we can manage, he said. And three years after Obama splits the scene, we have a roaring economy with a return of manufacturing jobs that Obama swore up and down could not return. And they did. So the Democrats, if they want to stop Trump, have to also stop the country or retard its progress or slow it down. Here's uh, Edward in Raleigh, North Carolina. Great to have you, sir. Glad you waited. Hello. Greetings from Trucker University. That's a page from Zig Ziglar's Automobile University. You are an important part of my wife and I uh, curriculum. Uh, she wants to say hey. Hey, Ross. Hi. Um, yeah, we love you. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kind of a little bit but We love you, and uh, we're always praying for you. And uh, our trucks are our prayer closets, and uh, you're always showing me what I need to be praying about. So I just want to get to our point. Uh, Trump's 2016 campaign slogan is and should be 2020, Make America Great Again. Do it again, Trump. I think it is. Yeah, and I'm extremely disappointed Governor Cooper will allow President Trump to consider moving the Republican convention out of North Carolina. You know, this reinforces my thought that the Democrat national media does not win at ratings. Well, let me Uh, ask you a question. Why do you think the convention should stay in North Carolina? The guy won't open the state. The guy is is therefore participating in actions that are not designed to make Donald Trump look good. Why 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 do you think the convention should remain? Because Trump is is openly making noises about moving it either to Texas or some other place. It's millions of dollars in revenue that will come here to North Carolina. Not if your governor doesn't open the state. Not if well, your governor well, doesn't allow it. Well, that that's why we have an NBA team. That's why we have a national football team. It brings people here, and if he wants to shut out national hockey, uh, so if he wants to, you know, um, uh, put up a, a border, you want to say he wants to close the border in North Carolina, well, then yeah, uh, North Carolina residents such as myself are going to miss out on on the goodness of what comes from a national convention. Well, look, I understand that, but 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 Trump's. I think Trump's reaction is that he doesn't see much cooperation from the governor there. The governor won't open the state or won't 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 go uh, full fledged uh, into it. Now I I I have to tell you, when this thing was announced for North Carolina, I said what? 
It's going to be in Charlottesville. Charlottesville, you need a telescope to find a Republican there. Charlottesville, I mean, it, it is, it could be the southeastern capital of Democrat socialism. And I'm saying, we're going to put the convention, what was the point of this? I know that there was a point somewhere, somehow, about uh, electoral votes and uh, what have you and so forth, but... The president is talking about about moving it, and I don't know if he's serious or if he's just trying to light a fire under the governor there to get serious about fully opening the state. Anyway, got to take a break. I appreciate the call. Back in just a moment. No, no, I meant Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlottesville, Virginia, but I was confusing the two. Charlotte is Charlotte. Got a Charlotte here. Got a Charlottesville there. They're both a bunch of rabid leftist places, but I was talking about Charlotte, North Carolina, which is, I don't know why you would put a convention there. I do not know why you'd put a republic. Do the Democrats put their conventions in hotbeds of conservatism? They do not. So what, what the hell are we doing? Anyway, I don't care. I don't care if, they get, if it gets moved or not. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, many, oh, we have a Kaylee McEnany soundbite coming up that's going to document something I said at the very opening of this program. You hang on. You know, a lot of families are celebrating high school graduations this time of year. And many have already made the big decision about what college is best for their high school graduate. Now, you think about the, the campus experience and the kind of education they're likely to receive. You think about the people that they'll be surrounded by. And uh, you, you think about the kind of education they're going to get. I mean, normally that's what you would think if you're a parent and you're about to pack off your crumb cruncher to the nearest campus. Well, let me tell you, Hillsdale College makes it very clear up front on the kind of experience that is provided. Hillsdale is a college campus where intellectual enthusiasm and rigor is valued where friendships are promoted as genuine, where critical thinking is taught and it is rewarded. Hillsdale is a campus where students are noticed individually. Classrooms and lecture halls are smaller in size than most. Collaboration and conversation between students and the faculty is the norm. It's not the exception. The faculty knows the students. Not just the good-looking ones. The principles of truth, of faith, hard work, all recognized, all rewarded at Hillsdale. The thing that Hillsdale does, the thing they're dedicated to, is teaching. Teaching the blessings of civil and religious liberty. Teaching freedom. Teaching how our freedom came to be. Teaching how difficult it was Hillsdale reminds their students how difficult maintaining liberty and freedom are, or is. It is a tough thing. Liberty and freedom require constant hard work. And for 170 years, it's been this way at Hillsdale. They share portions of their curriculum online video courses for you, so you, even though you're not going there, even though you're not enrolled, can take a number of online courses free. Just for you. Free to watch, on demand. It'll remind you of just how enjoyable learning can be with professors who love what they do. 
Sign up to watch more than two dozen courses free of charge. Rushforhillsdale.com is where you do that. And I'm not kidding. There aren't any strings attached. Rushforhillsdale.com, meaning nobody's going to come at you for donation. Nobody's going to want to put your name on a mailing list, any of that. They love teaching, and they want to reach more people than they can get on campus. Okay, so early on in the program, somebody asked me what I thought of Trump punching low and going down and, and focusing on Joe Scarborough as a murderer. And I said, well, I wish he wouldn't do it. I don't know why he concerns himself with, with gnats, why he concerns himself with chihuahuas yipping at his ankles, but he does. But I said, oh, I need you to consider something. Who is Scarborough? Scarborough is a guy who used to love and suck up to Donald Trump like you can't believe. Would show up at Mar-a-Lago begging to be let in on New Year's Eve after Trump wins election. Scarborough had Trump on his show during the campaign and made it look like he was for Trump. And then all of a sudden, Joe Scarborough becomes one of the lead purveyors of the Russian collusion mess. And folks, as you all know now, there was never anything to that. There was never any evidence. All they had was the Steele dossier. It was made up. It's, it, it, it really is... It is pathetic. There was not a shred. It was all made up. None of it was true. Not a single word you read in the New York Times for three years was true. Ditto. Washington Post. Not a single word you saw. Not a single thing you heard on CNN was true. It's astounding. And right in there is Joe Scarborough spreading all of it. Now, what if you're Donald Trump? And you're fed up with it. And this guy was alternately sucking up to you, trying to be your best buddy, showing up at your club, asking to be let in, and then joining this cabal of people trying to wipe him out. I said, what about the possibility that Trump is simply giving Scarborough a taste of his own medicine? Hey, Joe, let's see how you like being accused of murder. You know, the media is out there talking, this is outrageous, this is silly, this is stupid. This is inexplicable what Trump is doing. No, what's inexplicable is three years of allegations that Trump was a traitor, that he sold out the country as a Russian agent of Vladimir Putin. There hadn't been one apology. There hasn't been one mea culpa. And Scarborough is right there leading the charge by putting all these New York Times and Washington Post reporters on as guests. So Kaylee McEnany was asked a question by Jonathan Carl today. Trump's president... He's accusing somebody of murder. What's going on, Kaylee? And Joe Scarborough, if we want to start talking about false accusations, we have quite a few we can go through about Mika well, I'm asserting. Asking, I'm asking about the president's allegations. And, I, and I'm replying to you and saying this morning, as recently, I believe it was this morning or yesterday, Mika accused the president of being responsible for 100,000 deaths in this country. That's incredibly irresponsible. They've dragged his family through the mud. They've made false accusations that I won't go through, that I would not say from this podium against the president of the United States. And they should be held to account for their falsehoods. Right. On them to see my instincts right on them. It's exactly what they're thinking. You know, so these guys, and you know, throw any name in for Scarborough you want, pick anybody. They get to destroy Trump every day if they want. They get to try to. 
They get to lie and make it up and come up with some of the most outrageous. Look what they did to Donald Trump Jr. Look what they were doing to Trump's family, the allegations being made. The golden shower story and the steel dossier. So, not surprising to me that some in the White House might be thinking, hey, Joe, let's see how it feels. Let's see how you like it, Joe, being accused of something absolutely bogus. And we now know that Joe doesn't like it very much. All right, I got a lot of stuff left over, a lot of good stuff left over for uh, for tomorrow. I'll put it in a stack over here and take a 21-hour break and be back revved and ready to go again. Thanks so much for being with us today, folks. Always appreciate it. I mean, more than you can possibly know. Thank you so much for all your calls, emails, and so forth. Be back here in 21 hours. See you then. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.